Hey, good morning, Church Online. Today, we are beginning to wrap up our series on heaven. You know, in this series, we've talked about a lot of things. We've talked about why we should be excited about heaven. Why do we need heaven? Will there be animals in heaven? And what will heaven be like? And today, we are going to ask the question, what will we do in heaven? Just a heads up, there is no way that I can even scratch the surface of this topic. The Heaven Book by Randy Alcorn that I've been referencing is 500 pages long, and he is barely scratching the surface. What I can say in about 30 minutes is going to be very limited. Additionally, answering the question, what will we do in heaven, could take us in a million directions. Therefore, I am going to use a verse that's not necessarily about heaven, but includes subjects that will give a good outline towards answering this question. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the verse is clear. When it comes to the kingdom of God, which can also refer to heaven, eating and drinking will not be the most important thing. But that doesn't mean eating and drinking isn't an important part of eternity. Can I get a hallelujah? I know I love food. My family loves food. My niece was with us for Thanksgiving, and she is just like my brother, very expressive. And we took her to Giovanni's, a local pizza restaurant here in town, and she ordered the Napolina pizza. She took her first bite, and like the cheese was like stretching from the pizza to her mouth. And all of a sudden, she closed her eyes, and, and she literally worshiped God. Have you ever had that kind of experience with food where it just changed your life? Like everything was suddenly right in the world. I believe that's by God's design. God made food and drink to be enjoyed. And in heaven, we will continue to eat and enjoy food. Jesus says so. In Matthew 8, he says this, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Now, what do people typically do at a table? They eat. And at the event that Jesus is likely referring to, we sometimes call this event the marriage supper of the Lamb. It will be the first meal we will all have together in heaven to celebrate everything that Jesus has done. Revelation 19 says... Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, I'm sure that you've had good meals before, but whatever has been your best, know this. The marriage supper of the Lamb is going to be better. The food will be better. The drinks will be better. You will bite and praise God. And I believe this is just going to be the first of many meals in heaven. You know, the whole council of scripture supports the idea of meals being both biblical and eternally important. Think about the Passover, the Jewish feasts, the Last Supper, and the many times the New Testament talks about the church meeting, like in Acts 2, where it says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. God designed sharing meals to be an important part of biblical community. That's why we eat a lot here at the River Church. Now, you might be thinking, hey, if you eat meat in your meals, won't that require killing animals? And doesn't that seem out of place in heaven? I got one word for you. Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A serves meat. God loves Chick-fil-A, so meat is allowed in heaven. All joking aside, look at this story. By the way, this story that I'm about to read happens after Jesus rose from the dead. But John 21 says, And when they, that is the disciples, got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish that you just caught, Jesus said. Now let's skip down to verse 12. It says, now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. You know, it doesn't say this directly in the passage, but I think Jesus had breakfast with them. And if he did, then his resurrected, glorified body ate fish. And if that did happen, is that a hint that it's not out of place for our heavenly bodies to consume meat? But let's just entertain the thought that there's no animal meat in heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but I can eat rice, beans, and Little Debbie Christmas cakes all day long if I didn't know that they were going to make me look like Santa Claus in a week. But I am good with no meat. That being said, couldn't God provide meat or something that even tastes better without killing animals if he wanted to? Moving on, Romans 14 says, for the kingdom of God. In heaven, there will be an actual kingdom. Descriptions of heaven often include phrases like kingdom and king and thrones. And does that also imply rulership, territories to rule, government, and culture? Furthermore, Revelation 1 says, and he has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And 2 Timothy says, if we endure hardship, we will reign with him. In heaven, one thing we will do is we will reign and rule with Christ. We will have authority, responsibility, and ownership. Now, what that all looks like, we don't fully know. And honestly, it's kind of hard to imagine, especially since many of our ideas of rulership, government, and culture, which is another thing that is implied to be present in the kingdom, are often corrupted by our present sinful experiences. You know, my mom was here during week one of our Heaven series, and she heard me mention the possibility of government in heaven. Now, right or wrong, she has never really been a fan of government, and she could not fathom the idea of government being included in heaven. But I had to share the following thought with her. My mom doesn't know her father. Her life was negatively impacted by both the absence of her father and the presence of bad stepfathers. Therefore, when she thinks about father, it is corrupted by her personal experience. Yet, that doesn't mean that God isn't a good heavenly father. 
And the idea of heavenly government isn't diminished either by sinful human governments. Because God, not man, is the standard. And heavenly rulership will be perfect and good. But we may ask, why does there need to be any type of rulership anyway, if there is no need to enforce God's law since there is no sin? That's a good question. And honestly, it's one that we will have to wait and see regarding the answer. But until then, by faith, we can confidently know that the kingdom of God, however it plays out, however the rulership and government plays out, will be good, right, beautiful, and filled with love. Now, before I move on, I want to talk a little bit about culture, something that's implied to be present in something like a kingdom or a city. More than that, something that we are told will be present in heaven. Revelation 7 says this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they were crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Culture is part of heaven. God created different cultures, and he thinks each one is equally beautiful. He loves every culture, and in heaven, each of each culture has its rightful place in the kingdom. And I'm excited about this, not just because I'm personally mixed with a bunch of different ethnicities, all, all with cultures that I appreciate, and not because I'm married to a woman of another ethnicity, although I like that too, but I am also a fan of other cultures. I love Brazil. A few weeks ago, I got to eat Albanian food and drink Turkish coffee. Bro, I am a fan of Albania. And y'all know that I grew up in the hood in San Diego. I love New England culture more than where I grew up, but I still love my hood culture. I love the way that we joke, the way that we party, the way that our music hits differently. And what's cool about heaven is that it's only the best parts of our favorite cultural expressions that will be there. The sinful parts will be left behind while the beautiful parts will be enjoyed for eternity. And you better believe Turkish coffee is going to be there. Now back to Romans 14. It says, the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness. Here's how I'd like to process that idea. In heaven, we will live righteously. In other words, we will live right with God. We will live out our God-given purpose, and we will love what we do but without the curse of sin. I mean, how awesome will that be? We have a saying that do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. You know what? That's what heaven's like. In heaven, we will work and it will be unbelievably fun and satisfying. By the way, did you know that work is not sinful? In the beginning, God created a perfect world where Adam and Eve worked. Work existed before the fall and was not a result of man's sin. The only reason work feels like a burden is because of the curse of sin. 
After Adam's sin, God said this. He said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Work is good. It's the curse that makes it difficult and without pleasure. But in heaven, where there is no sin, work will be wonderful. Furthermore, Jesus said, my father is working, and so am I. God works, and God cannot sin. He is holy. So work is not sinful. Actually, it's holy. And we will work in heaven because we are made in God's image, who is a worker. I'm looking forward to working in heaven. While I definitely had my fair share of undesirable jobs, I personally love a good day's work. And I can't wait to work in heaven because I know that I'm going to love what I'm doing. And so will you. If you're a musician right now, you'll get to probably write worship songs as a job. Imagine gathering for worship and hearing Jesus say, hey, today we're going to be singing Joe's song. And everybody's cheering like, yeah, I love Joe. Or maybe you love to farm. What if your food gets to provide for the new Jerusalem? And one day Jesus walks through your field and he, he grabs a grape and he looks at you and he's like, mm, I, I love, I, these are my favorite. That'd be wild. But maybe you're like me and you're already doing something here that you love, but that something seems only necessary in a sinful world. For example, I'm a pastor. And I love it. But will there be need for pastoring in heaven? Maybe. But here's what I've realized. My primary job isn't telling sinners that they're bad. It's spending time caring for people, encouraging them, and teaching them. And if I get to do that for all of eternity, I will be living my best life. But what about something like police officers. Maybe you're in law enforcement and you love it. Are there police in heaven? I don't think so, at least not in the same way they are here. But then again, we do read there are guards. Revelation 21 says the city, and it's talking about New Jerusalem, the city wall was broad and high with 12 gates guarded by 12 angels. Why are angels guarding the city? I'm not sure. But think about what a guard actually does. They make sure everything happens the right way. And what if in heaven, guards are actually greeters? What if the chief of police is the chief encourager? Like your job is to make sure that everyone you see is fully encouraged and equipped to live for Jesus, to live the right way so things happen the way they're supposed to. Just a thought. Whatever we do in heaven, it will be done with unimaginable joy and fulfillment.
Now, Romans 14 continues and says, for the kingdom of God is a matter of peace. Once again, we could go in a lot of directions, but I'll say this. In heaven, one thing we will do is we will worship in peace. Ephesians 2 says, for he himself, that's Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. On the cross, Jesus did two things connected to eternal peace. Number one, he made peace between us and God. Our sin separated us from God. But Jesus paid for those sins on the cross. And now, for those who repent and put their faith in Jesus, there is eternal peace with God. Additionally, Jesus brings us into God's family, one big family. And now we have eternal peace with one another. And because of this peace, we will worship God. I know we... I've joked about in this series on heaven that, that, that heaven's not going to be a 24-hour worship service. And that's true. Nevertheless, we will be worshiping, and you're going to like it. But here's what's crazy. Even our personal times of worship are going to be eternally enhanced. Like, instead of doing devos by yourself, you'll be able to say things like, you know what, I think I'm going to go and hang out with Jesus. And then you'll be able to enter into New Jerusalem, dab up the angel at the gate, walk up to the throne room, and sit at a table prepared for you and Jesus. And you will worship during this incredibly personal and peaceful moment. Finally, Romans 14 says the kingdom of God is a matter of joy. Now, I know I'm running out of time, and I told you I'm going to barely be able to scratch the surface, but I want to process this idea of eternal heavenly joy in two ways. Number one, we will enjoy friends. Every month, we do a worship service at Addison Place, a senior living community here in Glastonbury, and I can't tell you how much of a blessing it is. And last week, we did a Christmas service for them. And afterwards, I got to talk to a guy named Job, and he pulls out his phone, and he starts showing me a bunch of pictures of him shaking hands with the four previous presidents. Apparently, his son works for the president. And so I shook his hand and I said, hey, now I've, sh I've shook the hand of the man who has shaken president's hands. You know, I would, I would personally love to shake a hand of a president one day. And in heaven, we will not only get to shake hands, but actually meet and build relationships with all the people who have followed Jesus, with all the people we have ever wanted to meet. Obviously, I want to meet Paul. I want to have a conversation with Reese Howes, who's a, a pastor of old. Uh, I'd love to talk to the prophet Daniel. But it won't just be famous people. We'll also get to meet up with old friends and we'll also get to reconcile broken relationships with perfect love and forgiveness. 
and we'll get to meet new friends. You know, I'm an introvert, but when I meet a friend or a new friend, who it's like I instantly click with. I love that. I love spending time with new people. And for all of the introverts out there, imagine this. Imagine meeting a new friend for the first time without the fear of rejection. That's how heaven will be like. But now consider this. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight in the sin which cling so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This verse tells us that heaven sees us right now. And imagine getting to heaven and meeting someone for the first time and they say something, oh, I know you. You're, you're, you're the Glastonbury Brook. I've listened to your album a thousand times. And we'll even get to meet angels. You know, the Bible gives us the sense that not only are we surrounded by angels that we can't currently see, but we may actually have an angel assigned to us, if you will, a guardian angel. Wouldn't it be crazy if I get to heaven and I see the replay of this, this time and, and there's like a big guardian angel behind me? But imagine meeting your guardian angel and, and as you're remembering crazy times, he's like, hey, bro, she almost died during that time, but the king told me, hey, will you please save this dummy? He's, he's a ding-dong, but he belongs to me. Here's the point. In heaven, we will spend time building relationships. And that brings up an interesting subject, because in heaven, there will be time. God created time. Time belongs with creation. We, humans, are created for time. You know, its 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 absence would actually be unnatural, but its unlimited use is exciting. And that's what we'll have in heaven. We will have unlimited time. Imagine having coffee with a great friend and spending as much time together as you want. Imagine going on vacation and spending as much time as you want. Imagine working on a project that you love and spending as much time as you want. Time makes things valuable. And in heaven, you will be able to use your time on whatever is valuable to you. Finally, in heaven, we will enjoy rewards. You know, Christmas is coming and many of us are going to get gifts that we love and we are going to enjoy them for about a week. And then essentially, we're going to throw them away. But for those of us who follow Jesus, a better Christmas is coming. When we get things that will never get old, and never get boring. Yet it's not just a gift we will be getting, but it will be a reward for our faithful service to King Jesus during this life. Did you know that desiring a reward from God is not bad? It's biblical. There's nothing wrong with receiving wages for a job well done. Because the Bible says God rewards those who diligently seek him. That's why Paul wrote, But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. And if the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. One day, all people, including Christians, will be judged. However, I do need to clarify something. 
The judgment referred to in this passage does not determine whether or not you go to heaven or hell. That's a different judgment. You know, the Bible actually talks about a few different divine judgments. So let me take a moment to walk through some of the relevant ones. So on the cross, Jesus took our sin upon himself. We deserved God's holy judgment, but it was poured out on Jesus instead for the forgiveness of our sins. And now we have a choice. You can turn from your sin, you can repent and put your faith in Jesus as Savior, allowing the judgment on the cross to count as payment towards your forgiveness. Or you can face God's judgment on your own. The Bible calls the day when that will happen the great white throne judgment. Everyone who dies without Christ will come before God's holy throne and be judged for their lives. And simply put, there is only one verdict that will be issued in the courtroom on that day. Matthew 25 says, Then he, that is the judge, will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. No matter what, you do not want to face the great white throne judgment. God doesn't want you there. Because everyone who ends up there is going to end up in the lake of fire, which is intended only for Satan and his demons. So please know this. God loves you so much that he gave everything so that you would never have to face that day. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, God so loved you that he gave us his only son that whoever would just believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. If you need Jesus to save you, cry out to him right now. And this is the promise he has towards you, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, if you've already done that, and maybe it's you did that two seconds ago, there is a different judgment that awaits you. And this judgment is called the Bema Seat of Christ. And it's when God will judge your life to determine your eternal rewards. You know, while good works don't save us, God did create us for good works, and he will reward us for our good works. I don't have too much time to go too deep into this, but just know this. You want to be at this judgment. This is when you will receive rewards for all of the times that you faithfully followed, that you sacrificially obeyed Jesus for the glory of God. And the rewards that you're going to get, oh man, we, we aren't even told what they are, but you can bet that you will be glad that you got them. And in heaven, what we will do for all of eternity is enjoy those rewards. And so as we close, consider the following verse. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. You know, this verse definitely applies to what God is doing in the here and now. But read the next verse. 
To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I think the sense is God will continue to do infinitely more than all that we can ask or think in heaven. And because of that, what we will do in heaven will be infinitely better than all that we could imagine or even ask for. And so here's how we can respond to today's sermon. One, you need to get right with Jesus. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. So make sure the judgment of God brings you rewards, not wrath. Number two, live faithfully for Jesus because he is going to reward you one day and nothing on earth will compare to the rewards you will receive in heaven. Finally, get excited about heaven because God is and you should be. We should be too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for everything. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for heaven. And we worship you and can't wait to spend forever with you. But until that time, please keep us from sin. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and give us power to glorify your name so that we will one day enjoy rewards that you want to give us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <music>